This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. running kind of chronologically through Ecclesiastes. And chances are this is a book you haven't got your fingers into very much. So um, like all of us, we're having a lot of fun with this one. But reading Ecclesiastes is like being cornered by a podiatrist at a party, and you just can't get away from the conversation. And they keep talking about the awkward details of their client's feet, and it's awkward It's gritty, it's just weird. And he's talking about the kind of grimness of life, living for the wrong things, the sort of stench of regret. This is kind of what Ecclesiastes is about, what it brings out of us. It's a pretty heavy conversation. Now, I understand if you say, hey, Christopher, what do you know about pretty heavy stuff in life? What do you know about regret? What do you know about suffering? What do you know about making wrong choices? What do you know about abusing people or being abused by people? What do you know about sex, drugs, and rock and roll? And you'd probably be right. That's a good question. I, I did come to faith at 23, so there was a bit of life lived. Um, so I have a couple of stories, but the reality is The man who calls himself the preacher, Solomon, I think when we understand his world a bit better, I think he is the right guy to speak into all of those contexts. So listen just briefly as we set the scene for for Ecclesiastes. Let's read in 1 Kings 10, 18 to 23. Understand a little bit about Solomon's world. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top, and on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. With twelve lions, while twelve lions stood there, one on each side of a step on the six steps, the like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Solomon wrote over 3,000 proverbs. He, he wrote over 1,000 songs. As you would have heard last week, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women at his beck and call, just in case the maths was out of reach. Solomon 
Solomon is not one of those guys who does not understand. Solomon is like Warren Buffett, Hugh Hefner, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Freddie Mercury, kind of all in one, and then a little bit more on top. When someone like me says, hey, don't chase after the wind, I get it. Yeah, okay, what do you know? What do you understand about my life? But when somebody like this talks about life, this is a guy who's been there, done that. He's got the T-shirt. He's got the lunchbox. He's got the toilet paper and the limited edition pen. He's done it all. I think it's worth a listen. And when he says, all is vapor, it's a good thing for us to pause and consider life. So we're at Solomon's encouragement, about to do a deep dive into the recesses of our heart and wrestle with some of the stuff we find in there. He wants us to realize that every one of us, whether you consider yourself a follower of Christ this morning or whether you're exploring the Christian faith, that every one of us has at root, at our core, the same desires, the same longings, and that hasn't changed in thousands of years. Ecclesiastes is different in that it doesn't make you feel good right away. It's different to many other books in the Bible. In our culture, if something doesn't make you feel good right away, we either ignore it or um, just kind of think it away. We dismiss it. And as such, I think people, both Christian and skeptic alike, can be fooled into thinking, actually, God has nothing to say about the tough stuff of life, the stuff that happens in the dark, the stuff that rips your guts out from inside of you when it happens, the painful stuff of life. Lorette and I have really dear friends in, uh, in a town called Langebon, and whenever they search out a new place to go and visit, they go and they they go and pick up a rock together, and they write the name of the place on the rock. And when they get home, they put their rock uh, on top of their big pile of rocks, and all their beautiful memories are with it. It's really quite sickening, but so sweet. But many of us deep down think like God is like that. God's all about the stones, the pile of good memories and all the lovely stuff. All the good we've done, and he only thinks and considers about that. Many of us think that God has nothing to say or care about the broken, the cracked rocks, the burnt rocks, the lost rocks, and the dead ends along the way. So in the death of God's Son, Jesus, on the cross, I think we can see that God really does have a very good grasp of pain. And also that he cares. He cares a great deal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God does care. Some megachurches have been built on people smiling, coming into church, praise the Lord. And on the inside, we're desperate and in deep pain. Ecclesiastes 
runs to that pain. Ecclesiastes runs to the head-scratching of life. What's going on? Moments. It runs to the weeping. And it tells us God is there. And God cares. He understands. And He is the only one who can help us come home. So if you're visiting this morning, welcome. If you're... uh, Uh, somebody exploring the Christian faith this morning, really, I really pray that this message will do you good. If you are a mature believer this morning and you think, this is not the kind of stuff I want to hear, I understand. But you've got friends and family that are depending on you to help them through some of these things. And maybe, just maybe, you haven't experienced the depth of pain that some others have experienced, and certainly that Solomon has experienced, and you have yet to fully grasp that your faith in Jesus can handle much more than life can throw at it, that your faith is robust, and that your God is good and kind. So in our passage, the preacher, Solomon, is taking us on a journey, the great search To find the meaning of life. So if you're here asking, how do I live life with a purpose? What is it all for? How do I find joy and peace in the midst of all of this? I know this will do us much good. So let's read together Ecclesiastes 2. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which, water to, uh, from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and have slaves who were born in, the, in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been in Jerusalem before. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. But I became great, or so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, vapor, and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only, has, only what has been done before. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. 
The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master after all. Uh, master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all of the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is a vanity, is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give it to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Happy Sunday. <laughs> it's not cruelty that drives the preacher to say these things. It is love and it is kindness. It's the kind of kindness and wisdom and experience we get in glimpses during the tough, really dark moments of our lives. When we, we pause, we think, we consider, what's life about? What satisfaction what is joy? And when all of the things that we've been chasing get ripped away, it's the carpet ripped out from underneath us. As a military pilot, I've, I've thankfully only been shot at once. But I, in the moment, you do what you're supposed to do, your training. But you get back and you start thinking about what happened. And you start shaking, the adrenaline kicks in, and you consider life very, very clearly, at least for a short time. What am I living for, we ask and we consider. And as much as we read through Ecclesiastes and we think, man, this guy is loony, let's dig into what Solomon says and see what we can learn about the great search so that we too don't need to go through the pain of having the carpet ripped out. We can learn from others, learn from Him. 
So I've summarized what a, a couple of these points into five P's, the five P's of Solomon's great search, just to make it easier. Number one, parties. He starts in verse 1 and says, I will test myself with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. This is pretty much the running theme through our passage. How to enjoy life to the max. He tries to cheer his body with wine. I think for us, the generic application is that any substance that promises to improve your life, if you eat me, if you drink me, if you smoke me, if you inject me, I will make you happier, more beautiful, more handsome. I'll help you with your struggles in life. I'm not against alcohol. I am against its lies. And we'll hear that theme all the way through. We're not against the thing. We're against its lies. When we believe the lies that substances tell us, and when we can't live without them, the very thing that we were hoping that would give us freedom and help us live a full and joyous life becomes our master and we become slaves to it. When we set our heart on substances to numb the realities of life and help us cope, we set our lives on a path which the preacher says can only lay hold of folly. Have you ever seen an alcohol commercial where the husband beats his wife up and the kids are cowering in a corner? No. Oh, you won't. You'll see a beach, waves, sunset, holding hands. The dark truth is too horrid. It's too horrible. The reality of abuse is that it breaks up families, destroys relationships, it loses jobs, it destroys health, and it kills. Everyone discovers at some point that alcohol the other substances promise much, but they underdeliver, and they bring death, and they sow destruction. We discover that alcohol is vapor. It's a chasing after the wind. <laughs> Try and grab it, it's gone. The second one is palaces. Next thing Solomon raises is kind of domestic in nature. He says, "I made great works." And this is where many of us in the room go, hey, that's a good thing, isn't it? This is kind of an envious thing. We admire him. At least he's not off getting drunk and falling into ponds and things. You know, we're really good. I think we're really good at demonizing certain acts and certain behaviors and just going with the flow with others. And this is kind of one of those we might even covet the idea of spending our life working hard to pay off our house and pay off our mortgage, manicure our lawn. I know there's some lawn manicurists among you. Making sure our garden is immaculate, painting our fences. But none of these things are bad until they start driving us. 
until they start driving your decision-making, your diary, your money. Driving our decision-making to the point of being destructive. In Solomon's case, it's not about so much about keeping up with the Joneses. Solomon needed to destroy the Joneses. It was total domination. Nothing. What does it say? The like of which was never made in any kingdom. That is the kind of guy Solomon was. Nothing was wrong with having a nice garden and a nice house. It's about having the nicest house money can buy and the nicest garden that money can buy. If houses and gardens are your thing, then this too will show itself to be nothing. Vapor. Some of us, probably like the apples, needed to hear the other side of this preach, which is, mow your lawn. <laughs> the other night we were discussing, why are we not being able to reach out to our neighbors properly? And we thought, it's probably because we've got to hack our way through our backyard to get to them. So, we'll work on that. So, if partying and houses aren't your thing yet, Maybe something else on the list is. Number three, possessions. We're getting warm now, aren't we? I bought male and female slaves. Not many of us probably fall in that category. And had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions. Ooh, now we're getting there. This is about the search for satisfaction in wealth and riches and owning whatever your heart desires. The ultimate ownership is people, slaves. And Solomon had more riches and wealth and crazy stuff than anyone else. That comment in 1 Kings 10 about he had fleets of ships that would come in, bringing crazy stuff from crazy places, and it still didn't satisfy him. We love to take pot shots at rich people. They're easy targets, celebrities. And magazines and tabloids, they make their business taking pot shots at rich people. We all kind of have a chuckle and, you know, it, it, it kind of highlights the, the sadness, the, the desperation of Caroline Flack's story. You know, we take pot shots at people like that until this type of thing happens. The sad reality is, and, and this is where magazines like Hello um, show the other side, is that although we love poking fun at them, we'd actually give anything to be like them. If only I had a bigger house, if only I had a nicer car, I'd be happy. This is not only a danger for people who already have. You can live in a cardboard box and still covet a nicer cardboard box. The search and the danger is the same, no matter your wealth status, your money. More and more, nicer and nicer, until we have it all. And then we realize, like Solomon, it's all vapor. It's nothing. It's air. It's chasing after the wind. And it's never enough. He had it all. Anything crazy you can think of, he had it all. And it was vapor. If I could just speak to the Christians in the room briefly. 
When it comes to our riches and our money and our time, the majority of us would be really happy to use our expendable income and our expendable time in serving God and serving His kingdom and building His kingdom. The danger with that, according to Solomon, is that our hearts will just continually, constantly grow and grasp and work hard to find new things for our expendables until it eats up what was God's. Solomon encourages us to reconsider this in the light of the sneakiness of our hearts. And instead of looking at what's left, by saying, no, this is the anchor. This is my priority. Prioritize worshiping God, and the other things will fall in place. Reorganize, adjust, make other choices. Being a Christian is not an add-on to our life. You know, us going to heaven is not the, the add, that's the add-on. But everything else just remains the same. Everything comes under his rulership, his kind rulership, and his reigning, and we are happier for it. Solomon forgot that his position and his possessions were provided by God to help preserve and promote worship in his kingdom. He realized that all else is vanity. It's vanity. Point number four performance. Performance. I got singers, both men and women. Knowing a little about Solomon, uh, we're not talking about my awesome high school band that I was in called the Rusted Monkey Nuts. <laughs> CDs at the door on your way out. Okay, we are talking about Ed Sheeran and Celine Dion serenading him in the night hours. Solomon is not saying that, that singers are evil or listening to Ed Sheeran is evil by any means, although discretion is probably advised with some of his newest stuff. I think this is a comment on entertainment and distraction. Entertainment is awful fun at best. It's wonderful. But it's the ultimate display of self-indulgence at worst. And escapism... Distraction is part of the package deal. The reason the movie The Hunger Games was so cool and gripping is it plays on our knowledge that power and entertainment go hand in hand. The more power you have, the more you can bend people and possessions to your will as entertainment. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter... Uh, Spotify, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Sky Sports. Entertainment promises to put us in the center of the universe. In the seat of power. To indulge, to consume, to our heart's content. It's a way as well to escape the pressures of life. To escape all the horrible stuff that's going on around us that reminds us that we are less than at the center of the universe. Author Ellen Noble writes, The constant distraction of our culture shields us from the kind of deep, honest reflection needed to ask why we exist and what is true. We are so distracted. We are so numb 
We're too numb to engage with these big questions, many of us. The big questions of life, meaning, of purpose. And we can end up just floating along with the other people who've got no idea and are equally numb. And listen to what they say about life and purpose. Like Solomon, we eventually realize the broken promises of entertainment and distraction has left us alone, has left us empty, numb, disconnected from people and from a purpose. Solomon says, I've tried parties. I've tried palaces. I've tried possessions. I've tried performance. It's promised so much, and it always falls flat. Vapor. Nothing. Grab. Nothing. This is meant to be read as a tragedy. It's a tragedy. So sad. But we're not done yet. He saves, certainly culturally for us, his best P for last. Passions. And many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. This is the search for satisfaction in sexual desires. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Thousand women at his beck and call at any moment. And this is Solomon again we're talking about, okay? So it is most definitely the thousand most beautiful and most attractive women he had laid his eyes on. Thousand supermodels. Whatever your idea of a supermodel is. So to state the obvious, if Solomon slept with three different women a day, it would take him a year to sleep with all of them. I know this is, we don't normally talk like this, okay? But Solomon wants us to engage with this. A thousand supermodels, and he considers it vapor. Solomon slept with more women than you and I, in our twisted fantasies, could even consider. And he calls it vapor. Empty. You may be wondering, why on earth did God even allow this to happen? Why on earth would God allow Solomon to have a thousand women when we know that it's God's heart and God's best for us to have one wife and one husband and love them forever? Well, one of the reasons I'd give is that so that he could help us realize that he's learned lessons and he can teach us, help many generations of God followers know that this is not the way to live. It is vapor. See, the problem with hoping sex will fulfill our desires highlights what we've already learned all the way through from Solomon. It's never enough. If you're hoping sex will satisfy your search for value and joy and life, it might at first give you some of that. And then, like everything, you need to go darker and more twisted and more weird to get the same feeling. Author of the Narnia book, C.S. Lewis, he said sexual appetite is less like a sitting down for a meal at, at a table. You know, go, 
Oh, yeah, nice. It's good. He says it's like putting wood on a bonfire. It just starts raging out of control. Solomon had a thousand supermodels. That is a lot of fuel for the fire. Sadly, online, you and I can also have a thousand supermodels staring back at us, affirming us because they're looking right at us. They make us feel like rock stars. My own experience is uh, at 14, I came across porn on the internet for the first time, and it was uh, the kind of infancy days, and it took me years, years to work that out, to get it out of my system, years. The reason, the reason it's hard is because it it, it, it gets filled. There's this gap. There was this gap in my life that these ladies filled. They made me feel like a rock star. They made me feel validated. But when it's all over, I felt worse and emptier than I did before. And so, you go back for more, and the cycle gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And I, I'm not just talking to the men in this room. Apparently, more than ever, ladies are enjoying porn as much. I've read an article that said in 56% of the divorce cases in the U.S., an unhealthy online pornography interest, interest was cited as part of the problem. 56%! I thought if I just leave my spouse and go after that one, I'd get what I was searching for and what I'd seen on the internet. And when you get to her, vapor. Jim Carrey said, and we all want to listen to what Jim Carrey has to say. I wish everybody could be rich and famous and do all that they ever dreamed of so they could see it's not the answer. Yeah. Well done, Jim. Oh, I know I get paid to say this kind of stuff, don't I? So let's consider what Jim Carrey and Solomon has to say about this. Let's take it to heart. Two further quickies that Solomon went on, uh, two further quick searches that Solomon went on. The search for wisdom, and this is the danger for some of us sitting in the room that think, hey man, I came through those other five totally unscathed. I, I'm not like that at all. I laugh at those guys who get drunk <laughs> on the weekends, those dummies, those guys who chase after girls and da-da-da-da-da, they build houses. No, that's not me. I'm wise. Me, I've been very, very good. Keep, kept my nose clean. I've lived the high moral ground, high moral life. 
And Solomon realizes the high moral ground and the high moral life is equally vapor before God. He's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. You trying to save yourself and look good, look impressive? No, that's not it. That's pride. Stinky, smelly stuff. The second quick one, search for an enduring legacy. Solomon realized that you work hard. You diligently do long hours, work your entire life. You build up a legacy. You get that business looking really good, and the name is strong. Higher and higher up the ladder we go. Long nights at the office, raking in the cash. Nice big nest egg. Good company reputation. The venue you always wanted. What's going to happen when I die? Uh-oh! Bet it's going to a fool who's going to ruin it all. This too is vapor. Meaningless. So on the outside, we look at Solomon and we want his life. But he's been to the end of every rainbow and he can tell us with authority there's nothing there. Not only is there nothing there, it's so bad. He says in verse 17, I hated life. I know all of you want to be me, but truthfully, I hate my life. Some of us in the room might feel like that. You've arrived in life, you've got it all, but you hate your life. So what is the answer? What is meaningful? Where do we find joy and life? In our previous series, looking at the way of Jesus, much like a lot of our preaching, it's just good preaching should, gave us the answer. Maybe before we were even asking the question or knew to ask the question. What's the answer to the question? Jesus. The answer was even in the title of the series, Walk, uh, The Way of Jesus. Ecclesiastes is different. It forces us to wrestle with the deep, dark crevices in our hearts and realize that we need help. And at that point, it then reveals. Spoiler alert, Jesus is the answer. But Solomon makes us work for it. Solomon helps us see that like a spring, our hearts just default back to vapor. Boing, boing, vapor. I'm doing well. Oh, boing, vapor. So our hearts default. That's true for all of us. That's true for me. If I could get a tattoo. No? I, I, I want a tattoo that said charis, the Greek, just because it's cool, like, like Steve's ta Greek tattoo. Charis, that says grace. The grace of Jesus, that even though my heart keeps going boing, boing, back to vapor, God loves me. God receives me, receives us home. Howard spoke last week, and it's in our, our scriptures as well, about everything under the sun being meaningless. 
And that means in order to find meaning and purpose in life, we need to go beyond the sun. We've got to get out of the creation, out of the created stuff that God's made and get to Him. Solomon points in his answer to God, the God who made everything under the sun and gave His Son, Jesus, for us. So why is Jesus the answer? Well, this Jesus had everything. He had all the riches of the creation. All the glory. All the possessions in the universe. He had it. He had the truly good life. Totally. The full life. He had it all. And he chose to leave it. To pursue his great passion. Brothers and sisters that he would win through his life and death and resurrection. Jesus didn't just say, hey, okay, I've given you the rules. I've shown you how to do it. Now, good luck. God bless. See you on this other side. No, he puts skin in the game. Do you know that saying, skin in the game? He put his body on the line. He came and lived His perfect life amongst us, a life free from vapor chasing, a life that was free to pursue God, His Father, and to please Him, and to live and love for the good of His brothers and sisters, whom He came to save. And He exchanged. He exchanged His perfect vapor-free life for our chasing wind and dirty, smelly life. And he died in our place so that we can receive all of his riches, all of his glory and beauty and holiness and peace. And most of us know this stuff, but we can still treat Jesus like this add-on, a stopover point on the way to our destination. Yeah, yeah, it's Jesus, yes, but actually it's this thing. Ah, 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 Jesus, ah, but it's actually this thing. That's the danger for us. Instead of treating Jesus like a stopover point, He is a final destination. Jesus, He carried the burden of our shame and our vapor chasing all the way to the cross. And there, He he, he drops it down and, and He becomes the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we see Him for who He is. We see Him as the final destination of our journey. The object of our search, the person and the place where we receive final rest, ultimate joy and peace. And when Jesus comes into focus and the vapor begins to clear, which it does when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, this is when Solomon writes, verse 24 and 25, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? See, when Jesus looms large in our view, the truly good life begins. Jesus doesn't say, hey, now you're a Christian. No parties, no palaces, no possessions, no passion. No, no. He says, now that Jesus is my joy, I can party responsibly not needing to find peace in a bottle. Man, that's freedom. 
Now that Jesus is my resting place, I can build palaces and pools and parks and houses for proper use and for enjoyment rather than status and keeping up with the Joneses. Now that Jesus is my treasure, I use my possessions well. And I can be generous because it's not mine. And the stuff that is in my possession, I use. It doesn't use me. Now that Jesus has performed on my behalf, I don't need to perform. And I don't need to look like I perform. I don't need to have others perform for me. No, we are safe and secure in the God who loves us as we are. Now that Jesus is our true passion, sex becomes a gift to be used and enjoyed in the safety of marriage, husband and a wife, which is this wonderful symbol of intimacy with, between us and God. And the porn gap that's in there gets filled up with Him. He satisfies. Christianity is in the rejection of pleasure. It's finding true pleasure and life. In ordering life in the right way. Prioritizing things in the right way. As we consider how to respond, could I ask you to close your eyes? I want to read an invitation from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come, Solomon. You Solomons who've, who've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, tried everything, realized it's vapor, and you're still thirsty, come. Young Solomon, where you're still thinking, hey, I haven't tried everything yet. Maybe that thing will still satisfy and bring me life and joy and peace. No, Come, come and drink. Come and drink middle-aged Solomon, where we're looking over the fence a little bit and thinking, is that over there a bit better than what I've got over here? Come, drink, be satisfied. Old-aged Solomon, Concerned that your legacy will go to fools. Come, drink. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. And you think, man, I'm tired of, tired, I'm just tired. Tired of chasing, tired of searching. One of the church fathers, Augustine, he said, our hearts are restless 
until they're found in Christ. And you know that restlessness. You know that feeling. You've been looking everywhere. Come home. Come. Drink. Eat. Rest. The message of Christianity is not try harder, do better, and I'll love you. It's come and be loved. Come find rest. Love you to come. Come and be prayed for. Come and respond. Come home. Come to Jesus. I'd love for you, when everyone's doing and enjoying communion, I'd love for you to come forward. Just come and tap me on the shoulder and say, pray with me. For, our, for Christians, we're tired. we spent our money on stuff we shouldn't have. We've ate things we shouldn't have, drunk things, done things. We're covered in shame. Maybe you're in a really dark place right now, dangerous place. Maybe we're thinking about doing things that we just really, really shouldn't. Looking over the fence going, wow, that, lo- that looks better than what I've got. Come. Drink. Eat. Rest. Recover. Come. For Christians, we're going to respond by eating and drinking. It's the way that Jesus has asked us to do. We're going to eat the bread, drink the juice, and we've done it differently because we just want to be wise with our current situation. So do be understanding of that. But we're going to come. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. We're going to respond. We're going to say, Jesus... I want you. I want to eat and drink from you. Nothing else will do. This is not that try harder, do better preach. This is come eat. Come drink. Come feast on the one who is life. Come find satisfaction for your soul, joy and rest. Come. And as you eat and you drink, just consider, maybe you've been chasing after vapor again, and that spring keeps jumping back. It's just another lovely moment to look Jesus in the eye and say, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for receiving me. I eat and I drink gratefully. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.